So it's a tough topic. I mean, what have you done when you've been wronged? Tom, do you really believe what you read? Man, that's tough stuff. I know a major league Hall of Fame pitcher who said it publicly. You hit one of my guys, I'll hit two of yours. And he threw 100 miles an hour. I've also known some pitchers who won't do that. If you're on the street, hit me, you're going to get it back twice. I even knew a vice president who said, you're careful how you get back. It works like the Chicago Mafia. You don't kill the person who's done you wrong. You get their wife, brother, their sister, and you wait and you plot it and you really make them fear you. That's the way it works. In Jesus' time, it was a Roman occupation. Nobody liked the Romans because they occupied the land. Romans were terrorists. They used crucifixion as a means of making it very visible what happens to people who oppose the order. So in the middle of all of this, Jesus delivers this message from Matthew, 5th chapter, 43rd verse. You have heard it said... You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. We've all heard that. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward is it you have? You even, not do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's the word of the Lord. Yeah. Need I say that the populace was not wanting to hear those words? And not only that, but in chapter 38, Jesus is even more explicit. There were the zealots, and it's very possible that Jesus had a couple of zealots as disciples. They were insurrectionists. They liked to fight. And they were plotting. And they wanted a war that they could win. The last thing they wanted to hear was Jesus saying, love your enemies. The Romans had a law, and they held to it very tightly. 
You read it in the chapters before this. We're not going to read those, but I'll just summarize them for you. It was that they could press into service anyone along the road to carry their load for one mile. They were legally able to do that, and there were restrictions about only one mile. So there were a lot of miles created and a lot of people pressed into service. Jesus says, if you have to go one, where do you go? Two. Huh? And if you're hit on one cheek, turn the other one. And if they take it to court, take off your coat and give it to them too. This is not in our natural inclination. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Do you remember that line out of Tevye and Fiddler on the Roof? He says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and half the world will be blind and toothless. It's true. Just a little historical background. By the way, that was not a prescription of what you had to do. That was a limitation on how far you could go. It's part of our law. You can't recover more than you have lost. To strike back is to escalate the conflict. And our impulse is to escalate to win. Don't push me around. I'm not a patsy. I'll tell you where I am and I'll stand up. And there are some times in which that's appropriate. In Jesus' time, the rich were getting richer and the poor were being taxed to death and getting poorer. The difficulty with hitting back is that it keeps the evil in circulation. And when we don't plot revenge, we begin to go the second mile. It's interesting that I would like to read this text and see what the exceptions are. Love your enemies except but it's not there. Now, where does this formation of an enemy come from? Well, lots of places. There are national interests and there are international interests and there are power conflicts and there's economic exploitation and there are egos and there are people who want more. It's interesting that as early as 354 A.D., Augustine of Hippo began to formulate how governments would operate. Is there a just war? all the way back to 354, and we've been debating that with international rules and all kinds of things, under what circumstances can you engage in a war for self-defense and other kind of things. But that's a sermon for another day. 
I don't want to go down that route. It's far too complex. That would be a good seminar. But let's deal on a more personal level, which I think Jesus is doing. The psychologists and sociologists tell us that this fear that we have is what escalates into hatred. It begins, perhaps, with a sense that we're different. I'm different from you. You're different from me. How much difference can we tolerate before we could become threatened about it? How do we handle our differences? The psychologists and the sociologists who have looked at this say it comes from a source of our insecurity. We like to feel safe. We like to affiliate with people and institutions that are similar to and reflect our particular values. That's a reality. But then sometimes when the fear begins to take over, we begin to demonize. I have a friend who parents were relocated during the Second World War into relocation camps, everything taken away, sent to Arkansas. We went to high school together, and it's a long story of some of the things she told me about that. Pretty soon, race becomes one of the ways that we engage our fear. And then it becomes, it's not okay to be significantly different. And we close our world in tighter and tighter and tighter. The more insecure we are and the more we fear until we feel comfortable. And here comes the difficulty. We then began to demonize those who are not like us. We talk about how bad they are. Let me get personal. Let's just look at some of our current ones. All Muslims are terrorists. That's not true. Foreigners are the problem. There are issues, but not all foreigners are the problem. Property values will drop if we let these people come into our neighborhoods. That's beginning to demonize. I'll share with you some of my own upbringing. Maybe it's parallel to yours. Maybe it's not. I won't tell you where my family came from, but Catholics. Now, Catholics really aren't Christian. You know? Okay, there may be a couple, but, you know, they believe in a lot of other hocus-pocus kind of stuff, so we don't affiliate with Catholics unless they want to come into this place and be immersed and then become denounce their Catholicism. Well, the Jews, they kill Jesus. They're not people of faith at all. And what happens when we begin to demonize others is we begin to isolate them and ourselves. And so how does that cycle get broken? Well, we can spend a lot of time talking with you and your stories about how it happened. Because it does. 
I've had to learn that I met some Catholics in Rome. And Father John Long. And I listened to him and I thought, huh? During Vatican II. This guy doesn't sound like what I've been talking about or heard about. I have a daughter-in-law who's Jewish. Isn't that interesting how when we begin to come in touch with the demons, we begin to form a different opinion or have a different experience, and our experiences don't fit what we have been grown up with. We're into an election year. Can't wait. Uh, I dislike elections. I don't know about you, but I just... One is they just dominate television. I'd rather see a good beer ad than a political campaign, to be very honest. At least there's something exciting about it. Why? Because our political ads tend to be demonizing. And they get very character assassinating. They don't talk about issues. They talk about how bad the other person is and why they're so good. Now, the reality is in life we have real differences and differences of opinion from what we believe and what somebody else believes. I mean, there are a lot of differences of opinion. And I think it's appropriate to call people out when their behavior is unnecessary, especially when it's unacceptable. But when we begin to use words like bad and evil and do a character assassinations, we're beginning to demonize. And we begin to isolate. Well, we'll tolerate a fair amount of that this year. But it's interesting that Jesus tells us to listen, to care about, to get to know those that are different. I went to a lecture, I think it was six weeks ago. Some of you may have been there at the Distinguished Speaker Series when Dr. Father Gregory Boyle uh, spoke. Any of you here? Maybe a couple, okay. Uh, he's a very interesting man. It was an eye-opener. Uh, Father Boyle, actually, we have a member of our congregation for whom his, it's his niece, and she moved to the location here. I didn't know we had such a close connection. But it was an eye-opener. See, Dr. Boyle, Father Gregory Boyle, was assigned as a Catholic priest to one of the poorest churches in Los Angeles in Boyle Heights. I have a runny nose, not a dry nose. Weather. That means I don't have the virus. And he began his services by burying gang members. Boyle Heights, Los Angeles, is the gang capital of the world. I thought New York was. Nuh-uh. It's here. It's Los Angeles. Now, for me, gang behavior is deplorable. And we live in fear, and people live in fear about gang members, and rightfully so. People and children are killed, and they are murdered unnecessarily. 
It's out of control. And our first response is we want the police to solve this and get control. Incarcerate all those folks and get them off the street. Gang bangers are the enemy. Anybody have any questions about that? I mean, you know, they're on the edge. They're on the outer fringe. I can't think of anything in our images that's more low-life than a gangbanger on the fringe of society killing people. So he was assigned to a poor parish in Boyle Heights, and he began to minister there. And he was doing funerals regularly of gang members who were killed. And he got to know some of them. There's a book that he has written, and I just can't recommend it to you more highly. Um, it's an easy read, Tattoos on the Heart. Buy it. It's a book in which you will laugh and you will cry. So Father Gregory Boyle got to learning about the gangbangers. And what he has done is he described it as he has created an exit off the freeway for those who want to get out of the gangs to come in. And he started a bakery. And he started teaching them how to get a job. And then they had some volunteers who came in and said, we'll remove tattoos. You know, I mean, it's kind of hard to get a job when you walk in with horns on your head, you know. People tend not to hire people like that. So in the process of this, he just has an incredible ability to love people. And he gets right past the looks, and he listened. And he began to hear some heartbreaking stories. And one of the realities about gang members is they have been incredibly abused as children. He tells one of the stories about a kid who went to school every day, beaten with a belt by his mother, and he put on three T-shirts to count the bleeding. Drugs, all kinds of issues, incredible abuse. And he began to listen, and he began to try to help. The enemy had a different look to him. He writes, if there's a fundamental challenge within the stories, it's simply this, to change our lurking suspicion that some lives matter less than other lives. To love our enemies is perhaps the hardest thing to do. He says there's a lethal absence of hope in gang members. There's a failure to conjure up the necessary image that can catapult you into your future. In fact, gang members form an exclusive club of young people who plan their funerals not their futures. 
And so he started the business. He started the employment. And you'll see some of those stories and kids come in and say, I just had my first job. I just made my first money. He says, the key to all of this ministry is we are all God's children, even those we call our enemies. We are all God's children. Isn't it interesting how when we reframe how we see others, we reframe how we respond? It's not to say that gang members aren't dangerous. They are. Gangs are dangerous. They're dangerous to gang members as well. And he's providing an exit out. He's considered one of the foremost experts. He doesn't think he is. And when they ask him, what's the difference in what you do and all your programs, he said, there's something you cannot take away from what happens. And that's a sense of unconditional love for these kids who come in this door. As messed up as they may be, as difficult a life as they've had, they need to come here and experience some sense of God's love, which is something they have never experienced in their life. He also adds, we can't incarcerate ourselves into that. That this problem is bigger than incarceration. Maybe a message for us is, where's God? I quote, Jesus stands at the margins in the lowly places, making voices heard, and that matters to Jesus, even if others say that it's a waste of time. He suggests that we imagine no one standing outside God's circle and dismantling any barriers, keeping anyone out is our job. They ask him, Greg, have you ever been threatened by the gangs? He said, never. I thought that was surprising. Never. He said, every gang member in Los Angeles knows who I am and what we do. I have never been threatened by a gang member. But I've sure been threatened by a lot of other people. Love your enemies. Maybe more, it may be more difficult than we think. But I think about Jesus' words, the truth. And the truth shall set you free. Thanks be to God.